Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Today's luncheon, The Journey to My Wildest Dream, was created by Toyota to empower, uplift, and inspire you. As the number one automaker brand for African Americans, Latinos, and Asians, Toyota is a company that encourages people to live their best, most authentic lives. Authenticity is key to fulfilling your wildest dream. It is important that we all embrace our greatest aspirations and pursue our passions to the fullest extent. With that said, be present and open today. What are your wildest dreams? Be mindful of them. Make space in your head, in your heart, to explore new possibilities and reach for the stars. On behalf of the Toyota family, thank you for joining us 
and enjoy the rest of your experience at this convention. It's now my honor to introduce the moderator for today's Fireside Chat, Roland Martin. Roland Martin is no stranger to this audience. He's one of the nation's leading and most influential black voices in our country. You might know him from TV One, CNN, News One Now, Washington Unwatched with Roland S. Martin, hashtag Roland Martin Unfiltered, or his social media. Roland is the consummate professional, well-respected for his educated, passionate, and honest approach to journalism. We are thrilled to have him here with us today to lead what will be truly an exciting discussion with our guest of honor, Tamron Hall. With that, I now turn it over to Roland. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot. NABJ, what's up? First timers, raise your hand. Damn, where y'all been? Glad to see everybody here. We're going to look forward to a uh, absolutely great conversation. Uh, I have known Tamron Hall for a long time, a long, 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 long time, long time. Uh, and uh, we're going to really have interesting conversation, again, talking about uh, what is happening in terms of her career, her life. Uh, do me a favor, uh, folks, can y'all come move this, please? So the folks on this side be able to see. Uh, we can come move this podium. And so I want to be able to um, bring her up now. Uh, you have seen her, of course, uh, start a career in Texas. You've seen her in Chicago. Folks saw her on MSNBC Today Show. And, of course, now uh, she is about to drop uh, her own daytime syndicated talk show. And so without further ado, put your hands together for longtime NABJ member, Tamron Hall. All right, I changed the rules. I got better light here, so I'm going to let you sit here. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, I figured you wanted a better seat like, so versus in the dark over here. You didn't know the king and queen of Zamunda were coming, did you? <laughs> Wet them damn rose bearers. <laughs> what is that? that rose bearers? No, that, 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 on one of those um, blogs, that Bish stole my look. That's what happened. <laughs> Not B-I-S-A. -B never mind. Okay. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh. right, right, right. See? Uh-huh. Uh, first off, we want to kick this thing off uh, with uh, showing you uh, getting a taste of Tamara's new daytime talk show. Roll it! Press play. Ups, the Turn downs. it up. We want to talk about who we are. People are people. They want you to respect them. They want you to be interested in their lives. We have more in common than we have different. I love what TV can do. The power of sharing your authentic journey. Give me something real, real. Something I can feel, feel. We have a chance to let you know that someone in Illinois is going through the same thing as somebody in Alabama. That's life. We really want to emphasize the journey for people who can inspire us. Now I can't fly. 
We want you to talk about your life. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Before we do so, do me a favor. Can y'all open those doors, please? There have been people who wanted to come in here to hear the conversation. Uh, they didn't know they were RSVP, uh, but this is NABJ. Nothing we do is off the record. And so I'll uh, just open the doors and they hear the conversation. They can step in because we've got enough room for standing room only. Uh, that's right. That's against the rules, but I'm a board member. Deal with it. All right. Tamron. Yes. This is a long way from KBTX. KBTX, that was my first TV station, Bryan College Station, yes. Um, I was right out of college, and this one was also in the same town. <laughs> well, I was going to Texas A&M, yes. uh, where KBTX is, and it, it's, people talk about journey, and Bishop Jakes and I talked about this one. People yes. love talking about, uh, man, Bishop Jakes preaching before millions in Africa, and, and the pilot's house, but nobody wants to talk about that he was digging ditches in West Virginia. Yeah. You can't deal with somebody's journey unless you actually deal with the journey. You can't right. talk about their success unless you deal with what they had to go through 100%. to get there. Hey, Susan. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it, even part of my show, people keep asking, and we've been doing this tour, um, and they say, well, do you want to have celebrities on? And I said, listen, I don't want anybody on my show just to promote their movie. How, you know, we often go to the end of the book, and you don't read the pages. And for our show, for my life, I think people kind of instantly do that. You go to where it is now and not the beginning, which you know very well. I mean, my mother was a 19-year-old single mother. My uh, grandfather was the first father that I had in the sense of someone there in my life. He was a sharecropper with a second-grade education who signed his name with an X because he could not read or write. And that was the first people who brought me home. I was the only child born that day in Luling, Texas. My mother's name is Mary. Luling! So therefore, I am kind of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> My baby's name is Moses. But um, no, I was the only child born that day, and you know Luling. We didn't get paved streets until the 90s. Um, my makeup artist and uh, my hairstylist Johnny and Tanil are here. I can walk on hot coal because my feet are like hard. <laughs> we didn't have pastries. I ran on like hard rock on the middle of our pavement all the time. So um, that was my start. Those are the first people who brought me home. And those are the people that I think about when I was creating this show. Those were the people I thought about when two years ago I decided to make a big change in my career as well. I believe in visualization, and folks, uh, it's always amazing when people say, did you ever think <laughs> you would be doing this? Like, yeah. I did. And, and, and so let's talk about that, because again, some people say, well, that's arrogant for you to say that, but no, it's actually visualizing where you want to be and doing what's necessary you know to what? get there. It's always funny. People will tell you to be proud of yourself, then they're mad at you for being proud of yourself. And so... Um, it, it is something that I've always been aware of, even when I, in the last two years of me promoting this show, you know, I would go into offices to talk about this show and pitch this show, and I finally said, listen, I'm 46 at the time, 47 years old, and I gotta shoot my shot, I gotta do my Hamilton. You know, I'm not giving away my shot. And so I would go into these meetings, and I wouldn't assume you knew anything about me, and I wouldn't care if you were bothered that I was talking too much about me. 
So I would go in and say, this is what I did. This is who I am. This is why I believe I should have a seat at the table. And I hadn't always been confident in doing that mm -hmm. because being a black woman in this business, being a woman in this business, being a black person in this business, I don't want to... Hell, just money. being black. Period. <laughs> As the city girls say, period. <laughs> uh, it, it is not easy. And you and I know, I mean, I... We started out together in Texas A&M area, but I replaced the same black woman two times at two different stations. The first time I replaced her, I had no idea. It was at KTVT, Channel 11, Dallas-Fort Worth, which actually now, and I've never told this story publicly, they actually fired me and now they're carrying my TV show, which is genius. But, but I did, I mean, that, I never told you I got fired. See, that, that's, that, what I that's where you go. What y'all gonna say now? That's not my nature. Yeah, right. It, it, uh -huh. It's not. It is yeah, not. Okay. I let people like you do that for me. You know I do it. I, and I do it for you, too. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. I love KBT, uh, KTVT. And then I went to WFLD, which is the affiliate in Chicago. And I remember seeing the woman again. We locked eyes. And it, it makes me emotional. I'm so sorry. This baby hormones, they get me when I tell certain stories. Um, I saw her and we locked eyes. And she knew she was gone, and I knew I was going to replace her. I am so I cry now at everything. It's so crazy. Don't have a baby. <laughs> it's a side effect. Thank you, John. <laughs> but um, but the reality is there are hurtful. other sisters who've had to deal with the exact same yeah. thing, yeah. and and their brothers as well. When we yeah. come in, it's so like okay, yeah. bullseye because. In many of these places, they don't want more than one yeah, or two. and it, tra it trains you in many ways to be unintentionally adversarial. I remember at another station I worked at, well, it was at the, is that my mom? Uh, the WFLD station as well. There was an African-American woman who did the mornings and she, through just the conditioning of how this business can work, instantly thought I was going to replace her. We, we you know, here we are and we're like, we're friends, but we're not friends, you know? And we all know those relationships because we're both trying, we're ambitious appropriately, right. but we're being put in a situation where we know there's only going to be one of us. Well, she thought it would be me. It turned out they replaced her, and this never happens. They replaced her with a white guy. And that whole you know, four years that we knew each other, we never really got to know each other because we were placed in this position to believe that it was like you know, one of those... Uh, Thunderdome things that only one of us was going to walk out of there with that job. And, and when that happens, I think for a lot of people, they don't know how to deal with that. No. I mean, when I mean, in 2012, I mean, I knew for a fact that was a meeting, and they the, the, the in the meeting it said we need to hire us another Roland Martin. They mm -hmm. said well, we already have one. I said no, no, we need to hire us another Roland Martin. So when they hired Van Jones. I called, me and Van talked about this public y'all, and I called Van and said, first of all, they will not have two black men fighting each other. Mm. I said, so they're not gonna use me in a political season, they're gonna use you. I said, but here's the deal. They have thrown you on television and you're unprepared. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you and train you how to do TV. Wow. I said, they will not have us fighting each other. So I knew the game, so I wasn't tripping yeah. on that, but we have, we, we have to take it upon ourselves not to fall into that trap where we are right. fighting one another and somebody else is watching it and gaining pleasure. Well, you know, listen, Joy Reid and I have always been very good friends from day one. And when I knew I was going to leave my prior job, 
I called her first, and I knew she was in the process of going through some changes, uh, all positive, but I knew I could provide her with some information of leverage, and I called her first, and I said, this is what's going down, because I wanted her to be as powerful and as strong as she needed to be for the journey that she's on. Um, but I didn't always know that. When I was you know, 27, starting out, and there's this other black woman that's me, I don't know that we're really supposed to be having you know, this meeting off to the side and saying to one another, here's what's happening and here's what's not happening. And I don't think that that is conspiring. I don't think that that is conspiratorial or a secret society of black journalists that are talking to each other. It's just people protecting people who are going through a similar journey. I strongly believe that, you know, uh, we don't talk enough about, listen, Don Lemon and I are on the shadiest text group ever. You don't want, <laughs> let me tell you, what I said, Don, I'm just going to publish this. <laughs> I'll be so rich. Um, but it is important to be vulnerable. Jamil Hill, when I left, uh, we had our little secret girl lunch, and we talked, and she said, as black women, we're not allowed to you know, be weak, especially mm -hmm. on air. We have to be strong. Suzanne and I are very, very close. And so we share these honest moments and that's what I would encourage you to do as well if there are other people at your job you know that are of color they're going through the similar thing and that has gotten me through this two-year break um, on this journey that I'm on was finally saying okay I don't have to suffer in silence I don't have to armor up I can be honest with my brothers and sisters in this business who are going through the same thing and if I can share and that's why I came here today you know we just got back from uh, we're on a 20-city tour, and we're spending, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen my child in like five or six days, which is a long time, and um, these baby hormones. And, uh, and so we were just in L.A., and I wanted to come here because you are a part of my journey, and I know what it means when I saw Iola Johnson at WFAA Channel 8, the first black woman to ever anchor the news in Dallas-Fort Worth. In Texas. In Texas, in the whole state. And I remember seeing her, and my dad said, that can be you. And I'm like, what? You know. And then much later in life, Connie Chung. You know, Ann Curry's a great friend of mine, another woman of color. My dad was like, that can be you. And I'm like, Dad, she's Asian. He's like, you don't get the point, do you? <laughs> this is why you're a C student. I'm like, yes. <laughs> but that representation matters very much. I met a, a young girl. We were in LA yesterday. She has autism. And she said to me, I want to be the first news anchor with autism because I want kids to see me do this. And I'm like, you know what, do it, do it. And that's important, as you know, uh, and as we grow in our numbers and representation on television. But also having the network even beyond, I think, internal. Uh, yeah. Because what happens is uh, when we go through what I, what I will call a traumatic experience, yeah. uh, the reality is he, you were first black woman, today's show, things going great, ratings are, 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 are awesome. I mean, you are, people are talking about you, it's all of a sudden, and then your entire world changes. And folks expected you to assume the position of just be happy, yeah. go sit down, yeah. be happy with what we gave you. But you also talk to people who are outside of your NBC family mm -hmm. to also help in that because those of us with other platforms could say things, especially when you own your own stuff. Uh, and you didn't have to ask permission. Yeah. That's also vital. Yeah, I, a lot of us, though, want to fight it by ourselves yeah. without saying, no, 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 let me share with you and do what you do. Absolutely. I mean, I, Roland knew as well what I was going through. And again, it's not 
an us against them, and I'm not, I'm not running for office, and as you said, you own your own platform. I'm the executive producer of my show, and I, it's too late for Disney to cancel it, so they have to eat what I say <laughs> right now. They'll be like, and that's their last season. <laughs> um, but no, I do think it's important to talk about that, because I, I, it I was not being secretive about what was going on. I just needed to deal with it in a stronger way. I knew that I wanted to come back. I knew it was important for me to make y'all proud. I knew I wanted to come back on my own terms. I had decided at 46, I was never, and I told you this, I was never gonna go into a man's office and ask them for another contract. That was never gonna happen to me. I'm 46, when I was 27, I did that. I got, my theory was always, you're gonna get me on the first contract, I'm gonna rob you on the second one. So every time I stayed at a station, I knew eventually they were gonna let me go because I was gonna tap out. I was like, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna get what I deserve. And eventually they're gonna say, okay, we can bring in someone cheaper than her. I didn't care, but I was gonna get what I felt my value was. You know, we hear um, so many, particularly white female anchors on air saying, know your value. Right. Well, know we have worth. value too, and we should be able to say that very boldly and very proudly to any executive that is negotiating with us to stay. With that said, I didn't know exactly what form I wanted my return to be. I did not know uh, if I would come back on a daytime talk show. It didn't cross, it, I wouldn't say it didn't cross my mind. I just didn't know what the formula would be. Roland and I talked about digital, all these things. And then Disney approached me for this show. We negotiated me being the executive producer. And now I'm so happy because you know, the backstory of what happened is less than less, you know, they say the rear view mirror is smaller than the front windshield because your past is supposed to be smaller. That is so far behind me because now, you know, half of my staff are people of color for my show. My co-executive producer, thank you. No. My co-executive producer is Talia Parkinson. She was on the Wendy Williams show for 10 years, and she decided to come over to our show. She is a G, and it's amazing. And we have, you know, our several producers and associate producers. Our creative team right now is working very hard. Half are people of color, and I did not go in and say, okay, let's get the head count, because I know how it felt. When I joined MSNBC, and you know this story, they call me Token Hall. <laughs> and it pisses me off still, because I wasn't there for that reason. Mm -hmm. I am so sorry, I'm crying. I swear to God, it's these hormones. Um, <laughs> but it does piss me off. Um, but I knew I was there because I'd earned that spot. And so I wanted to be able to have a team of people that had earned their stripes. So when I tweeted out that Talia Parkinson was my co-executive producer, I was low-key mad at some of y'all for not retweeting it. Come on. Because guess what? If someone had called out one of the networks for being all white, we would have all chimed in on that. But to elevate Talia Parkinson, one of two black women on daytime television, was a misstep. So I've learned mm -hmm. this from Roland. Yes, we can rally and say, where's the diversity? You have you know, a black agenda show with no black people. <laughs> and believe me, some of them have Come done on. that this Come week. On. But when you see like a Roland with his digital platform, you don't have to tweet about me. Y'all did, and you did your thing, and that's why I'm back on TV. But there's so many other, that's why when I go to a station, I follow the anchors that are of color and the white ones, but you know why I'm following you, because we do need to root each other on extra. And I think that when I saw that that day and I tweeted out Talia and Corinne, mm -hmm. two black women, one moved from LA um, to join the show, I didn't want you to retweet it because of me, because of my show. What's going to happen to me is going to happen to me. But I did feel that there was a misstep 
that we don't elevate each other enough when there is good stuff to celebrate. Because if they see you support Talia, they're gonna know how important it is to have another Talia in your newsroom. But if we just shrug it off and only complain, mm -hmm. that's what it will be perceived as. And I'm just being honest with you on that. All right, folks, back to that whole Mark Unfiltered video in just one moment. Five. I'm Curtis Harmon of Pieces of a Dream, inviting you to join me and my partner, James Lloyd, in beautiful Cabo San Lucas for Life Lux Jazz. The dates are November 7th through the 11th, and we'll be in concert with people like Kurt Whalen, Shalea, Donnie McClurkin, Average White Man, and many, many more. So you guys are going to want to save this date because this is going to be a blast. Hope to see you there. God bless. back to your Roland Martin unfiltered fit. It was also opportunity. Absolutely. And I think, what, and so in 2013, uh, when I got NABJ Journalist of the Year, I made the point. Brooklyn is such a drop. No, 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 no. Because- Well, I've never been named right, NABJ. You, right, you haven't- yeah, you And haven't, I'm okay with it, NABJ. You haven't dropped anything. <laughs> you haven't dropped anything. But when I stepped there, I said, many of us have passed up great opportunities because of the size of the letters on the business card. Mm-hmm. To your point, when I launched the TV One show, I could not get a single African-American who was at a major network to apply for the executive producer. Wow. And I said, many of y'all being APs for 10 years ain't been promoted. Yeah. But it was like, but I work at NBC, or I work at ABC yeah. and CBS. I'm like, yeah, but you ain't been promoted. And so it's a to, tough to, call. It's a tough decision to make. Yeah. But it, but it's it's it, but it's seizing the opportunity. The reason I'm saying seizing the opportunity, you were in a position where you could have still worked there, taken the salary, but you said, no. I am not being treated well. I know there's something else for me, and I'm leaving. It's not like you were making uh, Matt Lauer money, and and because I know there was somebody black in your family going, girl, how you gonna leave that check? What's wrong with you? Somebody black, did you know somebody black said, girl, that's a good check. Listen. <laughs> okay, let's be clear here. I did not leave broke. <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to get what was mine. Right. <laughs> Don't be mistaken. But somebody black did tell you, what's wrong oh, with yeah. you? Listen, here's the deal. <laughs> I secured the bag and I left. Right. Which allowed you to be able to make that decision. Yes, yes, absolutely. Listen, but I'm being very honest with you as well. I mean, we laugh and joke, and I do feel like I'm with family, and I can tell you that I don't know your names, and I hope to meet many of you. If that were 10 years prior, I would not have been able to do that. My father had just died. Um, my mother was now depending on me. I had different responsibilities. Mm -hmm. and even now, I have a child. If this had happened now, I would have been so... I, I, I do appreciate the support, and I appreciate that people are like, yeah. I mean, as I said to somebody, I live in Harlem. I walk down the street every day. They're like, get them, girl. I'm like, hey, we go do this, you know? And so I appreciate all of that, but I'm also a realist. We have bills to pay. I don't have a backup plan. I don't have an estate. My name is not in any libraries. Nobody in my family has a library in their name up there. So I'm my backup plan. Right. My mother said, you can do all bad all by yourself. Well, I am by myself at that time. And so I, um, I had an opening, and there was a window. And I went home that day. It was a Tuesday. And I decided, it's a sliver. Let me take that leap of faith. And that was also God. Um, I, I, you know, we both grew up in very, very spiritual and religious families, and I had to take that leap of faith 
um, and not worry about the financial part of it because I had the opening that God provided for me not to have to worry about it. But something else also happened. Anger? No, Your I'm phone? Well, no, I was, that, I'm that was, kidding. That I wasn't. Was, I really wasn't. But something else also happened. That is, your phone also didn't stop ringing. Well, but no, what I mean by that uh, is, there were things that you were still emceeing. Yes, you yeah. were still, which meant that you had put in the work and cultivated a relationship mm -hmm. with your people. Absolutely. That when you were no longer on TV, you still got called. Absolutely. Listen, it was also, you know, and many of you are young in the business as well. I took jobs that other people did not want, but I made them my own. You know, I remember getting a call. They were like, we need somebody to host this show called The Sister Wives. It's a Mormon, and he's got five wives and 17 kids. And I'm like, how much are they paying? <laughs> <laughs> and they said the number, and I'm like, hmm. Bip, bip, bip. They were like, done. I'm like, and I'm on the plane. And I, <laughs> I hosted this show for six seasons, but I ended up getting an incredible advantage out of it. Here's the deal. They went on to win a Supreme Court decision on um, cohabitation. And so they went from being these reality people to actually news story. So then they have all these ratings, and now I'm associated with it. Boom, that's something on my resume. MSNBC, okay, we want to bring you in to do the Today Show, but we don't have an opening right now. We're going to give you MB MSNBC some random hour. Okay, I'll take it. Fine, boom. The Today Show finally comes around, and then they say, okay, we will only let you really do the weekends, fill in at that time. And you know, so that you think, oh, it's the weekend Today Show. Really, it is unpaid labor, but it's awesome, so take it. I take it, boom. And then Deadline Crime, I'm in a meeting. They wanted me to do something for the OWN network with Oprah, but we weren't sure what it was. They said deadline crime, this organic conversation about what happened to my sister. My sister was murdered. I have an interest in talking to people who've gone through this. Boom, we got that. Then there was Bear Grylls, and they're like, okay, Bear Grylls, this guy I don't know from Britain, takes people out in the wild. Well, they want you to jump out of plane side. I was like, how much they pay? Oh, I'm in. <laughs> I was like, am I going to die? No, you're not going to die. Boom. Then they're like, Macy's Fourth of July parade. I'm like, I like being off on Fourth of July. Oh, but how That's much you pay? I'm, I'm like, I want to go to Essence. Essence ain't paying me. They are. Boom. Boom. <laughs> so now I end up on four networks. Somebody's gonna make a sure how much they pay. <laughs> and so. You know, all while I hope maintaining my journalistic integrity because I'm still a journalist, but now I'm in infotainment because there is nothing journalistic about the Macy's Fourth of July parade. So I'm not going to pretend there is, but I'm doing it. And so before you know it, here's what I was accumulating. Audiences from all different places mm -hmm. that I did not realize. So just as I live in Harlem and women are walking past me saying, do it, now I'm in Oklahoma in the middle of I don't know where Woods and a white woman straight from Central Casting is like, Tamara, I love you, girl. Isn't that, isn't that funny as hell? I just love you. <laughs> and I'm like, That's a deep draw. Yeah, and, and then people are like, did you really go out in the wild? Yes. Did you do this? And so I have this organic following of diverse people that we then transfer in hopes of this show. Mm -hmm. I did not know that at the time. But I will tell you, take those openings, take those jobs, take those appearances, and cultivate your own audience. Because if this were 15 years before, I would leave the Today Show, you would never heard of me again. Be like, oh, whatever happened to Tamron Hall? Well, I kept on social media. Mm -hmm. I kept giving speeches. I kept talking to you, Susanna, and all of my friends, and were just cultivating this brand because I knew the importance of my value. I knew that 
When I went to Chicago, my very first time on air, I then went to a cafeteria because I had no money, and I went up to the water tower to get lunch, and this black woman said, you that new black girl on Fox, aren't you? I said, yeah. She said, get them. And that <laughs> is the philosophy that I have in my life. And I would say, wherever you work, whatever newsroom you work in, don't turn it down. When they put you on an assignment, take the assignment and make it yours. I was at right. KTVT, and they put me on the crime beat with gangs. And I'm like, sir, I live in the country. I don't know anything about gangs. I owned it and got two huge exclusives with, you know, this Mexican gang cartel that everybody was talking about. My point is not to just keep spouting my resume off. My point is seize those moments when you're in the newsroom, when you are there, and these are stories that you don't want to cover. Own them, make them yours, and I promise you, at some point in this journey, that will be a reward. You will arm yourself with something that will get you the contract and the spot you want. I, you, I, I, you will not come back and tell me different. Let's talk about power. Um, a former staffer who mm -hmm. said, I really want to be on air. I mm -hmm. said, and she really could be a phenomenal EP one day. Right. And I said, who has more power? I said, if you're only on air, I said, understand what limited power you have. Mm -hmm. She said, but you're on air. I said, no, no, no. I'm the host and managing editor. Mm -hmm. If I want a managing editor, I don't want to be the host. Yeah. For you, you were intentional. You were not just going to be yeah. the host of this show. No, I would not. I said I had to be the executive producer of the show. And then I had to pick the executive producer who would executive produce it with me. And it ended up being Bill Getty, who, um, and the reason why I picked Bill Getty, who created The View with Barbara Walters, is because Bill Getty created the most diverse TV show in the history of television programming for women. Bill Getty put Star Jones on TV, and then Whoopi Goldberg, and then Sherry Shepard, and a host of other, Lisa Ling. So Bill Getty saw something, or at least was willing to take his shot, or saw there's money in that diversity, that now 25 years later, people are still copying his show. So Bill Getty was important for me as a component of that. And then when Talia, I'd been courting Talia Parkinson and having lunch with her and saying, I really want you on my team, I really need you on my team. And she decided she wanted a change in her life and she came on board. But I did feel that it was important because I know what you're getting at. We've all been in those newsrooms where you're just like, I, I'm so old. I remember when they used to still report suspects as just being a black male 6'4". And I remember being in a newsroom and being afraid to speak up. Not, mm, I'm not afraid of anything being cautious, not knowing how to speak mm -hmm. out. And I remember finally saying, do you know that could be my brother and every black person I know? I'm not going to say it. I just refuse to say it. My dad and mom, or my backup plan, so if they fired me that day, I was okay. <laughs> back to Lulin. Right back here. Back to Lulin, Texas, in the hard, rocky road. Um, but no, but throughout my career, you have those little moments as well. But those are hard. I mean, you can come, I can get up here and talk a good game now, 30 days out from this new show. But it's hard, and you're in that newsroom, and you're like, are you crazy? I, what? And even now, I, I saw some tweets the other day um, with all the coverage happening with the white supremacists, and, and a couple of networks had complete all-white, all-white panels incredible. Which meant that control room was virtually all white and that executive suite was all white, which is also why in ABJ, uh, we're putting folks on notice, you will get a phone call well, and you get and, called out. But at some point the phone calls have to turn to something else though. Precisely. Yeah. And it, but, but it's putting a level of pressure. Yeah. 
And I you apply pressure well. Just a little bit. <laughs> when, you meant, when I talked about the intentional things, you're being intentional. Mm -hmm. You also didn't just say we're going to be intentional with top level. That is, you need next generation people. Yeah. So they also, the folks you are, have to be intentional. Absolutely. That's the only way you change the game. Absolutely. Spike Lee told folks in Hollywood, when the team that he, he did Malcolm X, and the teamster said, no, no, no. He said, no trucks are moving mm -hmm. unless we drive the trucks. Yeah. He said, the fruit of Islam will be here every day until y'all yeah. go hire some black people. I'm, I'm very lucky. I think that when I went into my partnership with Disney, they really kind of had heard about me, and they knew what my intentions were. Um, and I thought it was very, very important for me to also bring to their attention, and you know this is on, when we talk about equality in the workplace, it is often skewed toward white women. Mm -hmm. um, pay equity is often skewed toward white women. And it was very important to me that I said that to the white women on my staff as well, that look, you guys are talking about how you're being treated in the news business like we are not experiencing these same things. Um, you know, we are being sexually harassed, we are being underpaid, so please don't make this a white woman's problem in the newsroom. It's a woman's problem in the newsroom. And that was important for me when I was putting this staff together. It was also important for me to have a lot of young people. Many of you know I was very, very close to Prince. And Prince used to say, he doesn't hang out with anybody over 45. <laughs> and I was like, that is age discrimination. He's like, but what he meant was he wanted to keep that young energy, that young flow, those young ideas in, in the system. And that's why if you would see his last band, Third Eye Girl, they were all very young. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated that as well, as I am old and being discriminated against somebody my age. But I want to make sure that there's a pipeline on our mm -hmm. show as well, that we're not just hiring young people to be the also-rans, that we're not just hiring young people to be the lower level, I want you in there actually in a position that matters. Talk about black love. Explain ah. the, what it feels like when you, when you walk out in public and you're going through airports. And people show you love. Ah. But black people, it's a different kind of love. You know how I know y'all love me? Because I married a white guy and you still love me. <laughs> <laughs> That, is, the, that man over there was like, and scene, I'm not here. <laughs> I, and then, I didn't know that. And then she tells me five times in the green room, oh, don't be sitting there getting me in trouble <laughs> saying stuff, and you over no, here. No, but that is something I will talk about on my show <laughs> as well. But no, black love is incredible. You, it is not lost on me. I have a hard time even looking around the room because I see all of these loving eyes looking back at me, and I, I don't deserve it because I'm just a person, but it is important to me, and it, uh, I am going to have to get some alcohol. <laughs> I am emotional. I don't, I feel like I'm with family. You need to get home and see your baby. I know. It's been five days. It's been five days, my little Moses. <laughs> um, but no, you guys have, you, you ladies and gentlemen, I don't like to use, Cicely Tyson said, remember she said, don't you call anybody, guys, she has a whole rant. You don't yes. ever want to get hemmed up by Cicely Tyson. You do not. God. So you ladies and gentlemen <laughs> have always been so supportive and rooting for me. And I told my mother one day, I said, they're rooting for me because we want someone to root for us. Yep. We all yep. do. You, you root for someone because you're like, if I'm down, I want you to root for me too. You know? And so for me, I think that's what it was. But absolutely, it was, listen, the day I made the churn out of my career and I woke up the next morning I didn't know what to expect and next thing you're texting me and people are like you're trending I'm like oh my god I just wanted to sleep in late that day you know and it was because of you and, and 
because you know black women especially say we're not going to watch the show anymore and we're going to support her wherever she goes and that is a big reason that Disney partnered with me. It is not lost on them that a large swath of the daytime audience are black plus. women. They're not crazy and they're black women who work hard and we have income to spend and so we will buy the Toyotas. <laughs> you know, thank you. And we will buy the, you know, the products that are being sold. You, we are a, put color aside, we are blue chip. Yes. We are a blue chip consumer. And so they know that. And loyal. And loyal. Now when you tick us off, it's a whole different conversation. It is, it is. But we're loyal. It is. And that's why we also have to say what we want. Because they do know that we have a loyal following. So I could go in and say, I want to be the executive producer of this show. I have earned it. And also, as Roland likes to do the uh, Malcolm X with the glove, I was like, and I got these people right here. And you don't want to make, it's like a chance to rapper. You don't want no problems from me. Right. That, that, that is my, of course, that, yeah, the favorite scene yeah. when the guy's like, you came, you, you came and got what you want. Oh, I'm not satisfied. No, no, it's not satisfied. <laughs> and I'm not satisfied either with this. I mean, I want to push myself more. I want to have a show that represents all of you. I want, when you watch the show, to see yourself. I want you to see your stories. And that's not a small task, but I think, I hope, that I've assembled a great team of producers and people, and I've been very transparent with Disney about who I am and who I want to be. Another short story, and, and Johnny and Tennille know this, they wanted me to do an article in a magazine, and they were having their own stylist. And they uh, sent like a bunch of jeans and like plain square t-shirts. And I said, I don't dress like that. And I said, but more important, I'm not going to shrink myself for white women to like me. And I said that, not to diss white women, but there's a stereotype that some of the magazine editors, we're gonna have to shrink you down. You know, the hair can't be that spiky. Okay, your clothes too bright, Roland. And then, you know, then. <laughs> you know I don't give a damn. And, and sometimes people will try to assimilate you and make you palatable. Yep. Disney did not try to do that because they said people like her the way she is. Black people like her the way she is. White women like her the way she is. She's aspirational. She's now a 48-year-old mom. She's from a small town. They actually, I found the right partners. And that's also a big part of the journey, right. you know, finding the right networks, the right newsrooms. Because obviously, all white news directors are not bad. They're not going to all shuffle you out the door like I was. Um, but I wasn't shuffled out the door. I left. That's a joke. Um, but. Um, they, you, when you show people who you are, they're either going to take you or leave you. Right. And if they leave you, you'll find somewhere else. We, we went we in ABJ. We had a meeting with ABC News, and they were like, "You know, diversity is really important." I'm like, "Yeah, especially the Black Panther made 1.1 billion for y'all." Yeah, they looked but, at me out like, well, look, listen, I mean, it, but, but it caused folks yeah, to say, "I call BS on it because waiting to exhale was a blockbuster, and we never saw that again." Right. But but but, but first of all, what we have you to had demand there was, it and create you had it. every 10 years of romantic comedy. What happened there was, what I'm saying is, when someone tells me diversity matters, yeah. I'm like, yes. I'm upon how you made so much right. money and to go, and now, now let's, let's see I'm, it in exactly, other parts of the company. Exactly, and that's the important follow-up to it as well. We had um, uh, one particular market um, that we were selling the show in, and it's a major market, a stereotypical liberal market. And I, told you, I think I told you a story. And there was a 
general manager who said, well, this other black host didn't make it, so I don't think white people in this big city want to see a black host, and they pass on our show. Well, we were picked up by a better station in that market, turns out, but, you know, even, and, and I, I said to the team at that time, I said, well, so then does that mean if a white show fails, we'll never see white people on TV again? That is ridiculous. Because Jennifer Aniston being in 10 romantic comedies, they all <laughs> yeah. suck. Is she going to get yeah. another one? So even no, though, I'm just, but yeah, I'm, no, no, yeah. I'm saying yeah. that, no, I ain't got a problem saying it. No. Because to that point, you mentioned waiting to excel. Yeah. When, when Just Right came out, it didn't make enough money, a certain amount of money, and literally every romantic comedy yeah. that involved black people that was in the pipeline got stopped yeah. because of that one movie. So, um, and, and what I think is the point is even though you find a Black Panther that makes huge success, don't just rely on that though as the template Absolutely. because not everybody appreciates that money. You know, they find ways to say, well, yeah, it did well, but that was a unicorn, or that did well, and that's an anomaly. So there are many fronts at which you're going to face questions about your value. None of it is valuable. It means nothing. Let's talk about how fun, how much fun you're now having because oh you get to God. actually create something and you're not asking somebody's permission. And you get oh, to listen. I'm asking to, permission still. I have partners. Right. I have partners. But I'm saying that, but you get to. Well, you're, not permission. You're now really on. Uh, you're not just on this side. Right. You get to be a part of the creative process and shaping and Absolutely. molding. Absolutely. You know what? And that's and that's important again with. And it's funny Disney because they did Black Panther, so maybe they are onto something with my show. But. Um, it's also speaking up. You know, the other day we were at a, at a, a photo shoot with Talia, myself, and Bill Getty. Um, the photographer, unbeknownst to him, had Bill Getty sit down and me and Talia stand up. And Bill was like this, and Talia and I are like this. And I said, we're not going to have the two black women standing in the white guy's city like Tony Orlando and Don. <laughs> you go that. I was like, no. Right. And he didn't Half of the room said, I know, you got to Google it. And don't. I actually said something worse, but I won't tell you what I said. But <laughs> the guy said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And he then had Bill, me and Talia, and if you go on my social media, you see a picture with partners. We're locked arms, we're all smiling. He is not sitting there in a power pose. Like he's the while king we, and y'all. And he, yeah. and poor Bill was like, what just happened? I don't know, he's like hitting Mac truck. <laughs> but those are the kind of victories that I'm able to take and able to speak up because those visuals matter as well. Oh boy, question time. I was trying to run out of here before y'all get No, back. no, no, no. That's going to be questions. Yeah. All right, so uh, they initially had some rules where they're going to have mic runners. Okay. But no, that's not going to happen because, you know, folks want to give a sermonette and then we'll be here all day. So okay. I got the microphone. So here's the deal. We got rules. Okay, first of all, oh, I don't need you holding on. the microphone. I got it. I got okay. it. Okay. I don't need you holding it. Uh, see, you can't run everything, Tamron. All right, so I got rules. I don't need you grabbing the microphone. Keep your hands to your side, and you grab the microphone and hit your hand. All right. So we're gonna start on this side of the room, center, and other side, and I'm gonna come back. So uh, got a question over here. Stand up. Uh, where are you? Anybody got a question? Come on, stand up. All right. Name where you're from, then your question. Oh my God. All right, folks, back to our Mark Unfiltered video in just one moment. All right, folks, you've heard me talk a lot about marijuanastock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at more than $340 billion. We know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all of the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. 
Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the United States and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. Folks, they need land to grow all of the plants. This is not the rocket science. It's real simple. It's an incredible investment opportunity, and that's where our friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. My friends at 420 Real Estate decided to do something special for the Roland Martin Unfiltered fan base. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks. Right now, you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200. That's right. Anywhere from 200 bucks up to $10,000. Let me recap. This is a $340 billion industry that is still growing. And you can participate with as little as $200. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. Get in the game and get in the game now. Now back to your Roland Martin Unfiltered video. My old school Phil Donahue. My hands are right here. Put, put them behind your back. Soon the position. There you go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hi, Tamron. I'm Hi. Jessica Larche. I'm at the CBS affiliate in Norfolk, Virginia, and we are running your show. Yay, so excited. I have a question, and we talk a lot about identity mm -hmm. and how we define ourselves, and especially in TV, sometimes we identify ourselves by the role that we have. Yeah. In that two-year period, what type of soul-searching did you do to define who you are separate from what you do? I traveled the country for about two years giving speeches and attending conferences and just really listening to people. I've always... I've been raised by a very, very strong black woman. And so my identity was clear. My job and how I would mesh who I am in my heart with what I was doing in a career wasn't always clear. So those two years, I kind of got back to my reporter roots, which is also going back to what Disney saw as a value in me. I've been in local news for 20 years. I was in you know, Chicago for 10. Um, Four in Dallas, or it's almost 15 years of local news, and so I really just wanted to get back to talking to people and, and reminding myself of why I came to do this job, which is I love people, I love reporting, I love being a journalist. So that was the soul searching in the process. Obviously, I was trying to have a baby. I had gotten married, and all those things were happening as well. But I, for me, professionally, it was important to get back to the roots of me being a local reporter because. Above all else, I know there are a lot of people who want to be on air and they want to be pundits. Your local news roots, if you're in local news in this room, are invaluable at any level of this game of journalism that we're in. Question? Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm in Sacramento. Hi, you know, starting off in my career, I think in the smaller markets, us black girls yeah. and probably the black guys too, we would all get together and be friends and there wasn't that competition. Yeah. The further I go in my career, um, and the bigger the market, I'm not finding that camaraderie. I find the adversarial relationship with other black women is where it's like we have to compete for the yeah. job. How, when you recognize that that is what's going on, how, what's your tips for addressing that so that we can try to build that camaraderie? Girl, can we have a drink? That's what Please, girl, can, no, I'm saying that's what you're saying to them. Oh, can we have a drink? There we go. Let's talk. Blame then, it on the uh, 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 No, you say, can we have coffee? Can we have a drink? And then just, just what Joy Reid and I did, we just started talking and as I said, Joy and I had always been very close, but we didn't. We were always not really talking about work. And then I started to say, "This is how I'm feeling," and she started to say. When I called Jamil Hill, I didn't know Jamil. I DM'd her. I think we both DM. We were DMing each other or something. And then I said, "You're going to be in New York. Let's have drinks." Kari, 
I was in LA, she saw on Twitter, on Instagram, I was in LA, she was like, you're in LA, let's have a drink, da da da. So that's kind of how those relationships, but yeah, it just it's the same with anything else. The minute you talk to someone, I tell people, once you rip off the mask, they rip off the mask, and you can actually have a conversation. That applies in any part of your life. And that was a very, I wish I had known that at 27, because that would have made the journey in this business a lot easier, because there were times I did feel alone. And when I left that day at the old show that I was on, I remember telling Roland and some other people, I said, I have to leave because I don't want the young women who are journalists to look and say, if it can happen to Tamron Hall, I don't stand a chance. And that's why I left. And I told all of them that day. I said, I can't live with myself. If they see me eat this, what will I do? And so as a result, I have my own talk show now, and I have this future that I hope is so bright. I'm not upset about the past, and I don't say that to be, you know, what would Jesus do moment, because I'm not that great. <laughs> if I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you usually for life. But I wasn't mad. <laughs> and he will tell you that. Um, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I, I, I left there with God telling me that there was something else. And so for me, I think it's important for you to just open up because you can't do it alone. What also has to happen when someone goes through that similar experience, you got to have people around you who, out of the blue, how you doing today? Yes, absolutely. Because, well, I, I mean, every yeah. now and then I'm like, damn, are you good? He said, you're good? Because, like, there were people who called me and they'd be like, oh, my God. And I said, who died? They <laughs> died. I mean, listen, I, I had lost the spot, but I didn't lose my soul. And so I can, I can fight again. I can live to fight another day, and it's okay. Let's just move forward. Let's look ahead. And looking ahead, again, led to 9-9-19. I sound like Herman Cain, 9 9, nine. That's the day. <laughs> September 9th um, is the day that... I will be, in a sense, born again. Question. Good afternoon, Ms. Tamron. Hello. Paul. My name is Malia, and I am a freelance entertainment journalist. So my question is a very simple question, because I admire the way you compose yourself as a woman. And my question is, what books have you read along your journey to get to where you are today? I am not that smart. <laughs> I'm sorry. You read a couple of I books. I am more Nopra than Oprah. I'm more magazine than book. No. Uh, I have a book that I read, it's called The Path of Light. Uh, it's, it's called The Path of Light, and it talks about the universe conspiring to give you exactly what you want. You know, when they say, ask God and you shall there are things you ask and you don't get it, usually because you really didn't want it. But you, the universe will conspire, and it also talks about, and this is one of the things that I've shared, when there's no title beneath your name on your card, are you still you? And I decided some years ago, I got this book when I was 18, and I'd read it every time, you know, it sits on the nightstand of my bed right now. But when I was 46, I decided that I would implement what I had been reading in that book. And I'm me, no matter what, no matter what the card says beneath it. I think about the actor from The Cosby Show. Remember, he was at the Home Depot, and the woman took the picture, and everyone was like, oh. And he said, I'm making a living, and I'm okay. And that's the sensation I had that day um, when the next chapter of my life was to start. I was going to be okay, whether it said reporter, anchor, whether it said back to KTVT, any of that, I was going to be able to live with myself. But the book is called The Path of Light. Here we go. 
think I'm gonna hold on to the chair. Hi, Tamron, I'm Keisha Hi. Lopez. I'm the weekend anchor reporter, producer for KWTX. Ah. And I'm just curious, I know you said you've had between 15 and 20 years in local news. How long were you, like what was the longest stint that you had in local news and at what point did you decide it was time to move on? I have been fired from every job. Absolutely. And here's why. When I got fired at WFLD, I told a producer that I was being interviewed by NBC, the producer I thought was a friend, who then Jim. told the general manager, who then came to me and said, you must sign a new contract today or we're going to let you go. You have to stay here. And I said, I'm out of here. And I left. Um, and so technically, I guess I, was, I quit. I don't know. But it didn't end well. The same thing happened at KTVT. I'd been there for four years. And um, they were like, OK, we want you to sign this contract. And I said, well, I, I think I, I've been offered a job in San Francisco and Miami and Chicago. Steve Pickett, my darling friend that we know, Steve said, take the job in Chicago. Chicago will have your back forever. And I decided I was going to maybe take the job. I went in to talk to the news director thinking that, you know, I'm just going to have a heart-to-heart. -heart. And they were like, sign the contract or, you know, it's done. I said, okay. And I left and went to Chicago. But Chicago was for 10 years. And I had been at NBC for 10 years. And right after I left, I ran into Lawrence Fishburne, and whom I don't know only from, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, the famous Lawrence. I don't know him as a friend. I have no idea. I ended up crying on his shoulder. And we're at this event. And I, I get this point, because I'm just giving advice that to was everybody. Pre, that was pre-baby. You were I, crying then. I'm just, no, not like that. <laughs> I was just asking everybody, anybody for advice. I truly was. I was like, give me some insight. What, how did you make it through? And, and I wasn't ashamed, because I was embarrassed that I had lost my position. But I was OK, but I needed advice. And Lawrence Fishburne said to me, how long have you been there? And I said, 10 years. He said, that's time. He said it was time. You're either going to move on to the next thing, or you're going to find a way to make where you are the best possible. It, it's, it's, you know, the math is there. Um, usually when you're on air, you know, you can get pigeonholed. People will see you as just a reporter when you want to do this, or just entertainment when you want to do this. And so you have to be careful of that, um, particularly when um, there are news directors who see us as a monolith, who see us as a number. You've got to make sure you're always marketing yourself for exactly That's what you right. want. And it's okay, by the way, to stay in local news for 25 years if that is what you want to do, but get the maximum of it that you want out of it. Because I didn't know I wanted to go to national. That was something that happened. But I would have been just A-OK -okay in Chicago with a great life and a great newscast in really cold winters. Sorry. I remember Monique had her show on BET. She said, you say stuff on TV, I'm afraid you're going to get fired. I said, Monique, I start every job with the premise, I'm going to get fired yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so just do what you got to do while you're there and move the hell on when it's time to go. Question. Tamron, my name is Jody Kenny, and I'm a news anchor for Spectrum News in upstate New York. And I'm a veteran journalist. I've been doing this for over 25 years. And I now have branched into podcasting as well. I do a podcast called Success with Jody Kenny, and I talk with people about their journey to success. So I'm very fascinated with you. And I want to get your advice on how women can continue to pivot and what steps we should take to remain relevant as we mature in our careers. 
It's a tough one. Ann Curry and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, Ann Curry and I probably stayed relevant because people were upset with what happened to us. And we both, though, had done multiple types of jobs. Remember it now. Ann Curry was on Dateline. Remember what I said, take the gig. Ann Curry's on Dateline. Then she's doing this. So um, we had uh, a unique opportunity to take these different jobs. I do think the social media platform clearly is a game changer, having a podcast is a game changer. In this business, especially on air, you're either gonna quit them or they're gonna quit you. That is just it. Um, very rarely do you see, I hope there comes a time where we can turn on the air and see a newswoman on for 40 years. It doesn't happen often. It doesn't mean it can't, but it hasn't. Um, what's the, Sunday, uh, the, uh, the NBC affiliate in New York, she was on for a very long time. Sue Simmons. Sue Simmons. I mean, Sue Simmons is amazing. And she was probably the longest running that I'd ever seen. So for me personally, I concluded you either quit them or they're going to quit you at some point. But I think that right now, especially the, the power of black Twitter, the power of black podcasts, we have an opportunity to have our voices heard in such an important way in digital. And as Roland has pointed out, you can own it. Do I have a perfect answer? I do not. I cannot give you a tidy answer, and I wish I could come up with some great Maya Angelou quote. But what I can tell you is through experience in this last two years, people want to read our stories. They want our perspective in this journey as female journalists, as black journalists. And I think these podcasts, I think keeping current with blogs, it's, we are underestimating how much people want to hear our voices digitally. They just don't want to have us clap back on Twitter. I would, I would, I would dare say, while you have your primary, create your secondary, which 100%. is your passion, and your secondary may one day equal your primary, and then you have a choice to make. Uh, Bill Douglas is here. He, was, he worked at McClatchy. He had a hockey blog. And then all of a sudden, the NHL said, we want to hire you. And now he's licensing his blog to NHL, and he left McClatchy. Even when you look at some of the, you know, I remember being on the Today Show and, and wondering, like, why are all of the YouTubers that were coming on, like, young white guys? And I'm like, that's interesting. Are we not, and I don't, I'm not technologically savvy in that way with the YouTube channels, but I figure, you know, if Logan Paul or whatever can have 90 million, is that his name, right? Logan Paul. About, six, yeah. about 30 million, making 30 15 million, million a year. Then, why can't you know the counter to him representing a diverse voice have that? So I think that for me, just on the outside looking in and even booking my show now, we're in the process of booking the show and we start our rehearsals in August, that's been something I've pushed my team. Like, who is the relevant black blogger out there? Who is the podcast voice that people are gravitating around? You know, there was that crime series called Serial that everyone, you know, there've been like four or five from a white point of view right. of those you know, Lorenz Tate and his brother tried to launch one with Lawrence Fishburne with Spotify. Um, it was like a black crime novel sh set in Chicago. But these creative ways that we should be exploring that people are making millions of dollars doing. Yep. So I think that's a way, especially as an aging anchor that I am, I guess, at, to stay relevant. Question right here. Yeah. Put your hand out. Oh, God. So Y'all got to lighten up. Oh, you missed that part? No, I'm just using it. But not right today. Okay. Casey Jones, I am a reporter in Rochester, New York. First of all, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Absolutely. It means so much to hear it. And it sounds like you've been through a lot. 
to get to we where you are. have. We all have. Everybody in this room, you are black. You've been through a lot. Of course. So what advice do you give as, as, you know, as you're on your journey, going through a lot? Yeah. How do you stay focused, stay positive, keep visualizing yourself living your wildest yeah. dreams despite uh -huh. every, every challenge that's being thrown at you? Because I know nothing is perfect. I'm not seeking perfection. I know it's not. I know that I may leave here in a minute and be in the corner crying my eyes out because something didn't go the way it was supposed to. I'm not trying to pretend that it's perfect and I'm not going to sell you you know, I could come up with some really great quotes and come in here and just start dropping them, be writing them down all day. Tamron Hall once said, that's not who I am. Uh, I remember I, I, there was a, a blog, and uh, very few things get under my skin, but there was an article uh, in a black female blog. It really hurt me. It was a couple of years ago. I did an interview, and they said something about, you know, when young black girls come in and talk to me about how hard it is being black, and I said, I turn them around and I say, come back, let's not talk about that. I want to know who you are and what you want to do. Because I know the roadblocks in front of you, but if we keep looking at the bump, we will never see the road. And I don't want you just to see the road, I want you to own the road. And there were several black bloggers who then said, Tamron Hall says she just turned people around. I'm like, look, dummy, obviously you know that I did not. You I bet you tweeted that too. Look, dummy. I said it to you, and I just flipped up and said it out loud. But I'm thinking, you know very well that I'm not going to turn around a young black woman and say, go back out. It's a figure of speech. What I meant by that was, I don't want to hold you back. I know the bumps. We know the bumps. And we can sit here all day, and I can name every network and name something that happened to someone that looks like you and me there. But I want you not just to be on the road. I want you to own the road. And that's why I said that. I don't want to sit there and you and I talk about how hard it is. I want us to talk about how you are going to run that station you're at. And that's important to me because the best advice I have ever received in my life did not include, all right, girl, we down. It included, how are we going to get the hell up? Question. Hi. My name is Gloria Brown Marshall. I actually have been on your show a couple of times. I cover the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, a legal correspondent, and but I'm also a legal historian, and this year is the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the Africans in Virginia, and um, I just wanted to know when it comes to these race issues and other, how are you going to handle that on your show? Do you have like in your mind um, what you're going to do around these race issues? I know people have handled them different ways on different shows, but I also want to ask, can you do something around the 400th on your show? You know, I, first of all, I don't know if I can do something on the show about it, not because it's not interesting and not compelling. I want to talk to you more about how we can bring it to a wider audience. Because one of the things that I think is important for my show, like Mixish, we're going to have hopefully the cast of Mixish on. And I said, we're not going to, we're going to talk about what it's like when somebody wrote on my blog, your white baby. And how I felt when someone said, your white baby Moses. And I said to myself, and Roland knows this, and this is very dicey territory, but I said, wait a minute, Barack Obama's mom is white, but he's our first black president, and I'm black and Moses is white. Help me understand that. And so I'm willing to go out on a limb and talk about anything as it relates to race, because that's my journey, and Disney has not, in one way, shape, or form, said you can't do that. I do also believe what William Barber, the famous minister that I love and we love so much said, if we tell our children that this is the worst that we've seen, we're doing a disservice to our children. Because we did watch as black people on television, while it wasn't live, it was taped and our families watched, sprayed with water hoses, beaten. 
We watch Eric Garner killed on tape. So I don't shy away from talking about anything as it relates to our journey because I do ultimately want the white woman in Iowa to cry for Tamir Rice just like we did. And I think with my voice and my platform, I can say, listen, you should be as outraged about Tamir as I am, no matter the color of your skin. So for me, it's about finding a way to bring our voices, our conversations to my show, not just because I'm black, but because I'm black and I know it's important. Got 10 more minutes of questions. We're going to get as many in as possible. My brother, what's up? What's going on? Question time. All right. <laughs> Hi, Tamara. Uh, my Hi. name is... Can you stand up? I got you. Well, it's kind of long. Just loosen up a little. Said, don't touch you. I appreciate it. My name is Maurice Johnson, and I teach journalism and public relations at the Florida A&M University oh, School yeah. of Journalism. Yeah. And yeah. All right, Rattlers, calm down. My question is, uh, like, uh, even my, uh, my upbringing, socioeconomically, my parents having locks, it's very easy for me to resonate and create cultural capital with uh, my young male students. My question to you is, just based off your experiences that you've told us about today, how can I encourage and empower the young black women in my classroom, knowing both the racial politics and sexual politics that they'll face once they get into the industry. The way you just talked to me. I mean, I think that that's the thing. We, Roland did something that I thought was incredible, and I rarely use the word incredible and Roland together. <laughs> it, Don't hate the swagger, yeah. baby. Uh, there was a conversation about the paid speaking circuit, and a lot of us give speeches now. I'm able to, I wasn't when I was a journalist on air, but now I'm, I, I get paid for certain speeches that I do, and Roland, went on his social media and he called out some of the black churches. I had never had this experience, but he said, y'all are paying the black men more to speak at these conferences than you are black women. I didn't see one black guy retweet Roland in that. And Don't worry about it, it, I got more followers than they But he did and he stood on his own because he said, wait a minute, I can make this money giving speeches, but y'all are doing my sisters wrong. And this is terrible. So I think, again, just as we were talking about relating to each other woman to woman in these newsrooms, it's the same conversation. We just have to start talking to each other and not talking at each other. I like social media, but I'm very cautious of it because I think it's the only time in our history that we cage ourselves and we have thrown away the key. I grew up in an environment where you know, we would talk to each other in a neighborhood and my mother and they would come over and play spades and people just communicated in a way that I feel that we don't, including when we have a position of power. So I think, you know, listen, you seem like a great guy, cool guy. I, I think some of the best shots I've gotten in my life were because a man invested in my career, first starting with Clarence Newton Sr., my stepfather, who was the only dad I've known. So I have a great respect of the relationship that we can have as men and women together and what we can do together as a powerful force. And I think that that's important for you to feel appreciated by those young women in your class, but also to let them know you see a deficit that can be filled, just as you've worked with the young men. Question? Hello, my name is Kyla Wright. I'm a graduate student at Syracuse University. And my question is, how do you know as a black woman when it's time to take that leap of faith to make that pitch and to be different and not a carbon copy of other shows and other women? I've never been a carbon copy of anyone. Um, 
and not because I've had the confidence not to be. I just really had no choice. Um, my mother didn't play that. My mother was like, we are the Joneses. That's who we keep up with. I was like, okay. So the environment I was raised in, but I know it's hard. I mean, I remember when I first cut my hair on air, you know, I now know many women have gone into newsrooms and news directors have said, you should cut your hair like Tamron Hall. But when I first cut my hair like Tamron Hall, it was no bueno. Um, so it's hard to find your identity. I remember I wore my hair natural on air. Two of my white coworkers pretended they did not see that my hair was different because they simply did not know in 2018 what to say. It's phenomenal. But I didn't get mad at them for it. I still know that there are challenges. My makeup artist and my hairstylist are black because they know how to do my hair and my makeup. And I know I was going in newsrooms where, in particular, one station had a white makeup artist. I was filling in. She didn't know I was on my way to become the host. And I overheard her say something really negative about me and not being bothered with finding my color. She was the first person I had fired because I didn't fire her to flex on her. I fired her because she chose to try to flex on me. And so that's what happened there. So I think that finding your lane, finding who you are is important both on the outside and the inside. I love your braids and I love that your cultural identity is clear. As far as the leap of faith, only you and God and your heart can determine that. I had no idea, as I said, the day that I took that leap that it was coming. I had some suspicions. There had been some things, you know, they say, stay woke, steady creeping. <laughs> I knew that there were things creeping around, but a leap of faith is so personal. It's so hard. Um, as I said, if it was 10 years prior, I could not have done it. And I have been in the bathroom in my house crying my eyes out saying, these people at KTVT didn't appreciate me. What am I going to do, God? How do I rise above this? How do I find my lane when I know that back in 1998, there were probably three other places that I could have worked because nobody was really looking at black female reporters to come into their shops. But you just gotta have that confidence and know that as confident as I appear right now, inside I was nervous walking in here, worried I'd be judged even though y'all rooted for me, worried I wouldn't have the right words, worried I wouldn't have the right food for your soul. But I decided by the second step, I was just gonna be myself. And wherever that lays is where it stays. So I'm gonna go, so go to a question here in a second. See it right now, but I gotta, uh, you gonna say something here. So first, no, you gonna say something, I'm gonna stop it. So uh, I am a firm, as Tamron knows very well, I'm all about history. I'm all about uh, the folks who made it possible for us to get here. Uh, and the reality is uh, you're looking at one of the legendary figures in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Charles Cobb. Uh, he is, no, 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 hell no. The Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was responsible for most of the most important civil rights uh, actions between 1960 and 1968. I'm gonna say that one more time because y'all ain't hear what I said. SNCC made it possible for us to sit in this hotel room. So I just wanted Charles to say something wishing Tamron good luck on her show. And Charles, get to hold the mic. <laughs> I, I'm not prepared to ask a question. I'm thinking furiously. Uh, I'm curious, now that I am thinking, uh, uh, about uh, which way you see media going these days in this era of Trump where we've seen an upsurge of, of, of white supremacist nationalism, we've seen an upsurge of, of racial prejudice being publicly articulated. 
it's not clear to me, given it took the media a long time to even call Donald Trump a racist. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm curious as to what your thoughts are about where the media is going these days. Good question, Charles. It's a great question. A couple of things I'll tell you. Um, first of all, thank you for everything you did to provide for a path for me and everybody in here. Um, it's not lost on you, Congressman Lewis, and all of the wonderful men and women who put your lives on the line for us. As far as it relates to the current world order that we are in, I believe a couple of things. I covered Timothy McVeigh, Oklahoma City bombing. I'm stunned in this past week how few people have made reference to the young, well-off white man who walked in and blew up that building. So the clock did not start, as you know, because you've been on the clock way longer than me, <laughs> with the last two weeks. Janet Napolitano commissioned a report on the rise of white supremacists well before Donald Trump ever ran for office. So if we trick ourselves, I believe, into believing that the clock started two weeks ago, then we are then denying that the whole country watched as the biggest and most deadly act of terrorism carried out on domestic soil. We're pretending Oklahoma did not exist. Timothy McVeigh did a legendary interview where he said of the children, many of them were brown, they were just collateral damage. So for me, the clock doesn't start yesterday. And it's clear that many people haven't heard the message that the media is not run by black people, not mainstream media. So why are we having these conversations with so few of color anchors? And I mean Latino brothers and sisters mm -hmm. as well. So the solution is not in my words. The solutions are in the actions that we demand of them. That's and, how I see and it. And we're 24 years away from America being a nation majority of people of color. Uh, and then to white fears was really driving a yeah, lot of this. Yeah, but it is, and I just, I, I'm shocked by how few people are like, wait a minute, did, Tim, did, did, are they having to Google Timothy McVeigh? We were there. This guy, I, I was the first, I believe the only black reporter that the Texas militia allowed into their campsite. And this was in 1995, right around after the Oklahoma City bombing. And everyone was talking about the Texas. They weren't paying taxes. Right. They were living on their own land, and they were ready to fight. They were armored up. That's what we're seeing now. Yep. It's never went away. And I know that rhetoric can inflame, but if that's your agenda, you will find your savior in anyone, because that's what you want to do anyway. Got literally two minutes. Question. I'm Daniel Jerkins. I'm from Gainesville, Florida. I host and produce radio there. I'm also a student. Go Rattlers. Um, congratulations first on your new show. Um, I'll, I'll be graduating in a, about a year and a half. And I had questions about uh, negotiating. You seem like you're very good at it. No, I'm we not. have 90 seconds. Just some tips, general tips on negotiating that first contract, not just taking something because, uh, you, know. you know. I think the first, cool. well, first of all, there, there is a theory that, especially amongst people of color, we should start telling our salaries more to each other. I, I struggle with that because that's your personal wealth and that's your personal business. But there is a theory that if we talk more about what we make with each other, that then we can make more. So that's a personal choice you have to make. My job, my first job on air, I made $14,000. 
I remember because I remember my paycheck and it was a lot of money to me then because that was 100 years ago. I see you shrug, it's like, they better not offer me 14,000. Um, that was 100,000 years ago. Uh, the next job I made 45,000, next job I made 115,000 after that, it went up a lot more and I'm grateful for that. I think you have to know going in, they're probably going to have the advantage. Any job, any job you go, because you're getting the experience, you're the newbie. And so I think going in, establishing yourself, and keeping track of what you're doing so that when it is time to get a new contract at that place or somewhere else, you've kept, I, I would always go into, I would go in my ratings, and, I, and they would often pretend they didn't know, and I'm like, oh, well, that's funny, because you're a marketing department. I always referred to people in the marketing. I, I was like this. There you go. And I, so you, we weren't going to talk anecdotally about my ratings. I knew my ratings. And I had someone say to me, well, do you think the ratings are up because of you? I said, if they were down, you'd say it was because of me. Mm-hmm. So that's how Can I... Can I get a witness? Yeah. So, you know, but that grew with time over confidence, because I knew I had the experience. But I knew going in at the first job at KBTX, where I made $14,000, what negotiating power did I have? The best I could do was negotiate with my talent and my hard work and my work ethic once I got the job and use that as leverage. But keep your ratings, yep. keep track of what you're doing. I also encourage, if you're in local news, do community service in your, that how, that's how you build a relationship. Mm -hmm. Don't just go in and report in that town. Become a part of it, Meals on Wheels, whatever it is. If there's a domestic violence shelter, something that is a passion, because that also makes you valuable to that town you're reporting in. And that gives you leverage when you go in and you say, I have been actively mm -hmm. involved with this organization that take the speeches when they ask you to host events because they will come to you and say, hey, mm -hmm. we have the NAACP thing happening now. You say, yes, I'm doing it, A, because it's my responsibility, B, it's my community, but also it's going to give me leverage to show that I'm not just checking in and checking out. I'm a part of this community, and that's what you're supposed to be compensating me for. I'm ingrained in this community as a journalist and as a citizen of this community. But please make sure you do your community service work. Just don't be the reporter or anchor there. Get involved in something in that town that you're in tomorrow. Find someone and call them be like, hey, I had heard about you guys doing yep. something at yep. the Y with kids. Let me show up. You look at my resume, every town I was in, including KBTX when I left, they declared a Tamron Hall day because I had done, I was in there a whole six months. They declared a Tamron Hall day. I have the plaque in my office because I had done so much community service in that town. And it's also good for yourself. Yeah. You said it real quick though, yeah. but a lot of journalists don't do this. They don't talk to other departments in the building. Yeah because you can get information about Absolutely. your bosses and your job from other folks. Yeah, befriend the people in, yes, in the human resource, find that one person, like, girl, what happened? If anybody, <laughs> right, right. It, anybody black else in the building, what you doing? <laughs> yeah, I need to holler at Not you. Not just, but, but build relationships. Yes. And don't, you know, you don't have to assimilate, but you don't also have to isolate yourself. And that's important as well. And the leverage piece is obviously critically leverage. important uh, because, again, when, when they can put you in a very small box, and then when they have no idea, I remember yeah. when we signed with CNN, they're yeah. like, we don't know what you're getting paid on Tom Jonah, what you're getting paid over here. And then that's why it was like, yes, we're going to yeah. do a contributing deal that's going to be about Knowing your worth is not limited to one gender, right. one race. It's our journey, too. We can talk about it all day long, but when you go in there to negotiate, I don't care if your news director is black. I don't care the background of that person. Yep. You walk in armored up with your resume, with who you are, what you've done, and your value. 
September 9th, 2019, Tamron Hall debuts across the country. NABJ, put your hands together for Luling, Texas's own Tamron Hall. Thank you. Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.